Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Thank you for this beautiful day, this wonderful opportunity. And Father, we do adore you. We exalt your name. We worship you. And we thank you for this beautiful congregation and uh, the opportunity to uh, rejoice with like-minded Christian people. We thank you for the efforts in this church and community toward marriage restoration, marriage strengthening. And we pray that the words that come from us today will be your words truly, that it might touch a need in someone's heart and uh, reinforce for others. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, honey, we get to tell our story again. And um, what, what I want you to understand is we're going to tell you a story about our life. But there are so many godly principles that have been applied. And we want, no matter what situation that you are in today, the principles of God work. They work for everything. They work for physical healing. They work for emotional healing. They work for um, your finances. They, and they work for your marriage. And so we're going to tell you our story. But I want you to pay close attention to the principles. Because if you're in a good marriage, you might say, I don't need to listen to this. But you do need to listen because there's principles, there's godly principles, and we want you to hear those principles today as we tell you our story. So we're going to try to paint a picture. Uh, we don't have an easel or paintbrush, but we'll paint it with words. And hopefully those words will uh, have some meaning and impact for you. Uh, at our age, we're very much a work in progress. Uh, we, that's, that's what I like to think of us as. We are still a work in progress. Carolyn and I met when we were just teenagers. We were the proverbial high school sweethearts. And we married at a very early age. Uh, both of our sets of parents didn't seem to uh, mind that. Uh, I was a preacher's kid, and Carolyn was an only child. And those sound like simple statements, but it led to issues in our marriage. We were both Christians when we got married. In our early married life, we ceased to serve the Lord. We uh, got caught up in the lifestyles that we probably didn't need to. And to compress some time, I will just simply say that after almost 16 years of marriage, I decided that I had had enough. And I walked in one day and said, I'm out of here. And I left. And I filed for divorce and left her with two teenage children. And as she likes to say, I left her with a crazy mama because her mother was elderly and senile at the time. And I was the one that had moved her in with us. And uh, I was determined to find happiness. Uh, I had, you know, I, I deserved it. I, I needed to be happy. And as far as I was concerned, that happiness didn't include her. 
Well, needless to say, when he came in and said that he was out of there, I'm thinking, well, what do you mean out of here? You know, are you, are you going out to the garage? Are you going to clean up the garage? What, what do you mean? It was the farthest thing from my scope that I um, could imagine. Um, I was truly the blindsided mate. Now, did God want me to be blindsided? Absolutely not. He probably was, um, had given me numerous message that, that your marriage is in trouble, but I was ignoring him because my world revolved around me and my children and not our marriage. And um, so in that plays the fact that I was an only child. In that also plays the fact that him being a PK, um, he had seen many um, kind of ugly things that had taken place in the church. And so that as our marriage progressed, he decided he didn't want to be a part of the church. And I followed along after him for a period of time. But about five years prior to our marriage falling apart, I had decided that I needed to get back in church for our children's sake. Not for my sake, not for our sake, but for our children's sake. So I had gone back to church. And so um, when he left, I was angry. I was very angry. I not only was angry at him, I was angry at God. Um, I was trying to do what I thought was right. And yet I was missing all of the things that God was trying to instill in my life. I was missing them. Those things about, Carolyn, this isn't about you. This is about me. Or, Carolyn, you must forgive. Or, Carolyn, your husband comes before your children. All of those things that God was telling me and I was ignoring because it was all about me. And so what I really want you to understand very, very clearly is he's the one that left, and I had given him tons of reasons to leave. Not that that wasn't sin. The leaving was, the divorce was sin, but it took both of us to destroy that marriage. And just because he was the one that left doesn't make him the good guy and me the good girl. It just is the way it was. Sin abounded in our home. As you look around your church family and your neighbors, your neighborhood, you'll see people that look like everything is going great. And when people looked at us, it seemed like we were doing fine. We were that, uh, that proverbial uh, living the American dream. You know, we had, we had literally, we had two kids, a nice home in the suburbs, and even a boat. We just weren't serving the Lord. So appearances are definitely deceiving. So I left. I didn't uh, give it a try. I was determined. I was going to divorce this woman. I was going to Go find happiness. Put big quotes around that phrase. <clears throat> the, uh, of course, the, the court system said, well, you have to try marriage counseling. And uh, I didn't want to do it, but that was the condition for getting the divorce. 
And so I went to 1.4 counseling sessions. Uh, the middle of the second session, I started screaming at the counselors and got up and stomped out. I lived in a constant state of anger. Uh, Hard-hearted. Didn't want to listen to family, didn't want to listen to friends, didn't want to listen to a pastor, certainly. If I wanted to hear a pastor, I'd go ask my dad. And I didn't, didn't even do that. Uh, actually, by this time, dad was gone. But I didn't want to go talk to a pastor. Uh, so I, I did what I wanted to do. And as often happens in those kind of circumstances, I found someone who was experiencing the same thing in her life. And I remarried. I had a lot of people tell me, wrong choice, wrong decision, give it time, wait. But I didn't listen to any of them. And uh, another phrase comes to mind about the, you know, jumping from the frying pan to the fire. <laughs> uh, that was a terrible mistake. Nice person, terrible mistake for me. So during that period of time, I was crying out to the only one that I knew to cry out to, and that was the Lord, and that was the right thing to do. But my cry to the Lord was, Lord, get him. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, in, I saw myself as the good little Christian girl who was being wronged by a man that was involved with another woman. And I saw nothing of the sin that was in my life, nothing. It was 100% his fault. And that day that um, he walked out of the counseling session, the, the husband-wife counselor said one thing to me that gave me hope. And that one thing that they said was, and they were Christian counselors, but they said, let's just take God out of the equation for a moment. And let's look at statistics. And statistics say to us, now this was back in 1982. I don't know what the statistics would say today. But in 1982, he said the statistics would show to us if the person who was being left, and that would be me, if the person would just wait long enough, the person who was doing the leaving would change, they would turn, and they would come back. But the bad thing is, by the time the person who has done the leaving changes and they turn to come back, most usually the one who was left is now out there dating and or is remarried. So the whole key, they were saying, even with God out of the equation, was to wait long enough. And so, and, and he said, but you put God back in the equation and you can find peace and happiness and joy. I, actually, I don't think he said happiness. I think he said peace and joy in the waiting. Now, that's real key because many of you out there today have petitioned God. You have cried out to God. And with, with a godly request. And he wants you to know that you can find peace and joy in the waiting. 
So, in my, my um, messed up thinking at that point, I said, well, if it, all it takes is me waiting, I can do that. Now, I need to preface all of this by saying, to me, that meant six months, nine months, maybe a year at the very most. But, you know, he was going to turn from his little fling, and he was going to come back. Of course, if he had done that, if he had turned from his little fling in that nine months and come back, he would have turned around and left again because there had been no change in me. And there had been no change in me because there had been no repentance because I didn't understand that I had sinned. It was him that had sinned. So my prayer during this period of time was, Lord, change him. Now, I am telling you that you can pray prayers like that all you want, and they go about as far as the top of your head. <laughs> because I have no control over anybody but me. I, get to I make decisions about me. God speaks to me. And so... My prayer for God to change him was not a godly prayer on my part. My prayer should have been, Lord, what do you want to change in me? But because I refused to recognize that there was sin in my life, therefore I didn't repent. How could I repent of something I wasn't doing? Then I couldn't forgive. And, you know, forgiving him was pretty easy because I loved him. I had, I had years with him. I loved him. But I didn't love her. I didn't love the woman that he married. And God demanded of me to forgive. Before that repentance came, she met this crazy group of people. They believed in marriage restoration. And they chose to stand on their marriage covenant. Now, at that time, I would venture to say that probably 95% of them or more were women. So what I saw as what is called the prodigal, it was out there, what I saw was her associating with a bunch of women who somehow thought their husbands would come home. And I didn't have a very kind way of expressing my attitude toward that. Um, what did you call us? Well. You have to say it nice, we're in church. Yeah, I said not a snowball's chance as far as the prospect of me ever going back. And over the years, my term for the group of people that, are, that we call covenant keepers was those people put that in big quotation marks, those people. They had crazy ideas, and Carolyn was with them. You know, at the time, I thought, well, is a cult, maybe. Uh, why did they possibly believe that? And my fervent desire for her, because I always thought Carolyn was a good mother, my desire for her was that she would meet some nice guy in her church and remarry and live happily ever after. Because if she did that, I was off the hook. 
Well, his life was not going to be that easy because hanging around those people, I started learning some principles of the Word of God. And first, of, first principle was recognize the sin in your life. Now, I am telling, I want to be real transparent. I want to make sure you understand this was not immediate. This took two years for me to even recognize that I had done something wrong. Two years. You know, my thinking was he's going to be home in nine months. But two years down the road, I am just starting to understand that God is trying to get through to me. I wasn't seeing any change in him, and God was trying to get through to me. And yet I had all of this resentment and unforgiveness stacked up in my heart, and the Holy Spirit kept, started dealing with me about how I must forgive the other woman. And... Um, I, I said no. I, I said no, not real kindly to the Lord. Um, we, had th we had this ongoing debate. Me and the Lord had this ongoing debate. And I said, no, it's not fair. It's not right. I have, a, I have some rights. I am, I am his covenant wife. I will not forgive her sin. And so because of that unwillingness within me to forgive her, God's hands were tied because he says in his word that to receive forgiveness, we must give forgiveness. And so one day, driving down the road, and this was, let me say, this was two years of misery because I was trying to have this relationship with the God of the universe and I was talking to him and he was talking to me but I was still hurting so bad I felt like somebody had ripped my right arm off. And the reason for that is I want to take you to chapter 5 verse 2 of Genesis and I want to read it in the Amplified. It says, He created them male and female. He blessed them and named them both Adam at the time that they were created. Did you get that? He named them Adam. Why did he do that? Do you know Eve didn't get her name Eve until sin had entered the world? They were called Adam because when God created the covenant between Adam and Eve and he blessed it, he saw them as one to the point that he called them Adam. They did not have their separate identities. They were Adam. So when this Adam was ripped apart, it truly was as if somebody was taking a part of my body and ripping it away. And that is the reason why divorce and separation is so painful. It's because the two that have become one is now being ripped apart. And so in my misery of wanting him to change and not wanting to deal with my sin, the pain remained. 
in me. And yet the day that the Holy Spirit came upon me and said, today is your day to forgive. I, I was driving my car and Holy Spirit conviction came upon me, couldn't even see to drive. And I parked the car and I was so angry at God. And I got out of my car and I was kicking the car. Now, let me just say, a sane woman, even in Oklahoma, which was where we lived, sane women didn't do things like that. I was angry, and I was shaking my fist and screaming at God about how this wasn't right, this wasn't fair. And yet God was saying, you can do this, Carolyn, come on. Come on, Carolyn, I'm going to help you do this. And finally, the one thing he said was, if you want to quit hurting, you're going to have to do it my way because two years of your way has not worked. And so out of, out of sheer exhaustion of fighting and wrestling with the Holy Spirit for two years, I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to say the word, because he said to me, all I want you to do is say, I forgive her. And I said, okay, you want me to say those words, God? I forgive her. Is that what you want? Is that, is that, is that going to be good enough, God? I forgive her. I forgive her. Now get off my back. And truly, for two weeks, I can say to you that nothing changed in my life that I could tell. And yet, two weeks later one morning, I woke up and... I was a different woman, and I, I was there in bed, and I knew something had happened. And I said, God, what is this? And he took me back, and I can, I can still close my eyes and see myself in the parking lot. I was in the parking lot of Oral Roberts University, invisible side of the prayer tower, and shaking my fist at God, and yet I spoke the words that he required of me. My heart wasn't right that day, but I was obedient. And he changed my heart. Do you see the miracle in this? Just the miracle of being obedient will change your heart. It's, when he says you're a new creation, you really are. You're a new creation. And I felt like a new creation that day. And I knew that the Jesus in me was the one that worked through me to forgive. And that was the turning point of my life. And I truly thought that that day I would receive a phone call from Rex telling me that he was on his way home. You didn't do it though, honey. <laughs> Miracles, signs, and wonders. And that may have been the first sign for Carolyn, but she has lots of stories about all the, the years we were apart about literally miracles that happened because not only was I determined to be happy, I was determined to be successful. And my new bride and I started a new business. We were in the southwest U.S., there in Oklahoma. Our clients were oil companies and oil-related companies, and it was 1982, the oil recession. 
So we started a brand new company with every bit of money we could scrape up. And six months after we started it, the oil recession hit. All of our client base dried up. We went bankrupt. And I was happy. <laughs> but no financial support for Carolyn and the kids for, for quite some time. So literally, the miracles for her kept happening. And she has lots of stories, some of them funny, some not so funny. Um, I'd like to say miracles were happening in my life, but my life was one of those situations where the Lord will discipline. And if you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, you get the discipline. Uh, I'd like to say I learned real quickly from the discipline, but I was a tough case. It took a long time. Um, the Lord was working on me. The Holy Spirit was, was working on me. And, uh, but I want to say it did not appear that the Holy Spirit was working on him. That is the reason why you cannot go by what you see, but you go by what the Word of God says. If he says that I have made you two one, he, we are one. And I used to say, she may have a sheet of paper that says they're married. She may be sleeping with him, but he is my husband and he is coming home. Now, let me say, all of my friends, all of my family, and 99% of the church thought I was demented. Yes, thank you, Lord. But she was changing. Uh, she and the founder of Covenant Keepers, Marilyn Conrad, were, I became best friends. And uh, as the ministry grew, Carolyn became Marilyn's first group leader, teaching other people who were standing on their marriage covenant. And she began to change, and I could see that. Uh, my life was basically in the pits <laughs> at that point. That second marriage didn't last. Uh, and I was a pretty miserable individual, uh, especially when... With her change, I began to recognize that my feelings were changing. We became friends again, largely due to the children's activities. And as we became friends, and then as my feelings toward her changed more toward uh, affection, etc., I got scared. Uh, I'd already been a failure two times at marriage, as far as I was concerned. I uh, doubted my... Uh, ability as a parent and when I realized that what those feelings were uh, basically I just ran I, I tried to get away and uh, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let go just what I term relentless pursuit and so not only was she changing but I was changing I mean today we are nowhere near the people we were at the time of divorce uh, I didn't communicate well, and I still work at that because I think most men have to really work at being good communicators. We don't share our feelings and emotions as well. But nowadays, she's much more likely to hear, you may not like this, but, and I just launch into whatever my feelings are. I feel that that's much better than hiding the feelings and not communicating, and we we work things out together. We go to prayer, we... Uh, explore what's going on, and we know, we've learned how to have good, constructive 
I won't call them arguments, but spirited discussions. You know, during this period of time, I learned what real faith was. Um, I went to a, a, a faith church back in the 80s. That was what that movement was called, the faith movement. And I am a product of it. Um, I started out a good little Baptist girl, and I slid right into that slippery bank of the charismatics. And, um, of course, he was, he was the son of a Baptist preacher. And so during this period of time, God and I became best friends. And I can honestly say to you that after a while, after the forgiveness issues were dealt with and after I really learned what that mustard seed of faith is all about, I fell in love with my Jesus. And he became the most important thing in my life. And I finally reached the point that I said, Lord, I love you. And I love this man. But if he never comes home, it's okay. Because I will always have you. And I know that you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. You will always be by my side, and you are enough. Now, I didn't get there quickly. It was about year eight or nine at that point. Our kids had graduated from high school. Our son had graduated from college. Our daughter had an engagement ring on her finger. And his mama used to call me all the time and just talk to me and check on me and see how I was doing. And she would always end the conversation with, don't give up. Don't don't give up. God's at work. And, you know, I didn't see God at work for many, many years. But along about year eight or nine, I started seeing the work of the Holy Spirit wooing him back to our home. Now, he was, he was still legally married to the other woman, but I knew that God was wooing him to us. The Holy Spirit was at work. I used to pray for Carol because I knew God had a plan and purpose for her life. And I knew that plan and purpose for her life was for her good and not for evil. But I also knew that I had a covenant. And that no man, unless I allowed it, could put that covenant asunder. And I had determined that I would live to the end of my days saying, He's my husband, and he's coming home. And I would be a totally fulfilled, joyful woman in the process. And and one of the other principles that I learned during this period of time when we were both broke, I was selling real estate at that time. Interest rate was 18%. So you can imagine how much money I was making. And he was living with his mother-in-law because they had gone bankrupt. There were many times when there was no food 
And yet God had said, I will take care of you. I will feed you. And he did. He did it through the body of Christ. He did it through miracle signs and wonders because I was just crazy enough to believe that his word is truth. And so the body of Christ took care of me, the two children, and mama. The body of Christ did because he loves us, he cares for us, and he has not run out of money. And so the principle that's at work in that arena is that of sowing and reaping. I will say to you there were times I had no food, but if I had a nickel in the bottom of my purse or if I found a nickel digging in the cracks of the sofa when the offering bucket was passed, I gave that nickel. Sowing and reaping is a principle of the Word of God that works whether you believe it or not. It has nothing to do whether you believe it. It's like, it's like gravity. Gravity works when you jump off of a building. You are going down. Sowing and reaping work. It's a principle that needs to be applied into your life no matter what your situation. And so as he was being wooed back, I just thought, this was about year eight, I just thought it was going to happen immediately. You know, I, I'm still that time person. Um, one of the sentences in one of the songs we sang was, he will not delay. Well, let me tell you, I thought eight years was a delay. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I'm a woman of faith, but I thought eight years was a little bit too long. That was not my plan. You did not follow my plan. <laughs> but after our daughter had the engagement ring put on her finger, I said, God, please, please, because I understood the concept of generational blessings and cursings, and I wanted our family restored before the next generation began. And so I think she got her engagement ring in May. Rex had run away. You know, he talked about running away. He ran away to England. Thought a little distance would do good. <laughs> he thought he was going to put some distance between him and God is what he thought. I mean, he knew he was going to put distance between he and I, but he thought he was going to run away from God too. But guess what? God is in England. <laughs> And you found that out, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> Remember I said, relentless pursuit by the Holy Spirit. A, a friend gave a testimony, and I loved the phrase he used, and so I borrowed it. He made the statement, nobody wrestles with God and wins. And boy, do I feel like that. Uh, and I did at the time. I finally got to the point where... I mean, I knew what was right. I knew what needed to be done, and yet I was still resistant. And I got so worn down in that struggle that finally I just said, Lord, whatever I need to do, you tell me and I will do it. Not only about Carolyn, but you tell me and I'll do it for the rest of my life. And so, after almost 12 years of being apart, uh, I say that the second best thing I did was propose to her the second time. 
Uh, it, I was did, 12, I, it was 12 years. Did y'all catch that? It was yeah, 12, 12 years. years. But I did it right. For all the gentlemen in the crowd, I did it right. I got the dozen roses. I got down on my knee in front of the children and her. And I think I, I, think I surprised her. And so you might think, okay, they got remarried, and that's it. But remember, I said, we're a work in progress. That was 1992. Now, we did spend the first nine years of remarriage basically healing. Uh, I moved her away from Tulsa and all of her friends and family, but that wasn't intentional. That was where we were led. And... All the time in that, in that process, we look back and we see the hand of God touching us and guiding us. <clears throat> we had such different backgrounds at that point that I'd promised her we'd find a church home, but it had to be a church that we could both agree on. Atlanta, Georgia must have 500 churches. We visited 26 of them in 26 weekends. Never could find the church until the day we walked into the church. We both felt at home. We said, this is it. Now here, we serve a God with a sense of humor, I firmly believe. Because guess what church it was? It little, was Baptist. Little small Baptist church. <laughs> but the Lord had led us there because we met friends in the marriage class that we're still friends with today. No, none of us live in Atlanta anymore, but we're still good friends. And it was a time of growth and maturity, for me especially, in the Word. And we actually sort of lost touch with Covenant Keepers. I mean, there were still friends of Carolyn's, but that was okay. And in the year 2000, Marilyn Conrad, the founder, was in Atlanta. We invited her to dinner. And in the course of that conversation, she had said something about convention, and I looked over and asked Carolyn, why don't we go to those? And she was flabbergasted that I would even ask that. She didn't think I could handle what happened at the conferences. Because these were charismatic conferences, and I couldn't drag my little Baptist husband to these meetings because it was with those people. Yeah. You know, he was still calling them those people at that point. So the second sentence, after I'd said, why don't we go to those conferences, was Marilyn Conrad said, well, you guys need to come next summer and give your testimony at the conference. And I said, sure, why don't we? And I looked, like, I looked at him like he had dropped in from outer space because I knew that he had no concept of what he was getting himself into because he was going to become, and I knew it in my spirit, he was going to become one of those people. <laughs> And you've got to laugh when God does something like that. You've just got to see the humor in it. And, and we did. I mean, I, I did. I became one of those people. <laughs> we went to the conference, uh, met a gentleman there named Leo Godzich. And Leo was telling us about the National Association of Marriage Enhancement and their conference that came up in September. I looked at Carolyn and I said, why don't we go to that? So we did. And at the name conference, we'd found out what they were about. And at the end of the conference, in Leo's closing, 
He says, any of you out there who feel led to help start a counseling center in your church, come forward. I just grabbed her hand and off we went. And so we helped set up a, a counseling center at the church we were in. And also by this time, we were meeting with the Covenant Keepers in Atlanta, and we were their advisor couple. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, if you'd seen us then, you would be laughing right now when, when you realize that we were advising people. Because I, to be honest, I had to tell all of these Covenant Keepers all those crazy things that I did that were so wrong for all of those years. And yet I found out by doing that that they were encouraged because if they weren't doing those things, they were thinking about doing those things. And the devil was lying to them and saying, your marriage will never get healed. And yet we stood before them in all of our sinful nature that we had then. And we said, look what God has done. He gets the glory. It's not about us. It's about him. We really haven't talked about Covenant Keepers, but what Covenant Keepers does is um, it, it's a ministry to restore a marriage when we only have the cooperation of one half of the couple. Now, you may think that someone that's divorced, uh, whether they're just having marriage issues or already divorced, you'd think there may be no hope for them. We see the miracles of God constantly when one person is willing to stand on their marriage covenant. Nothing is impossible with the God that we serve. So no matter what it is today that you're sitting there trusting God for, let me say you are serving the God of the impossible. Do not look at your circumstances. If you look at your circumstances, they will only grow bigger in your own mind. But you must turn your eyes towards Jesus. He is the one that begins it and ends it. So we thought we're doing pretty good. We're the advisor couple. We're serving the Lord. Remember I said, I had promised the Lord whatever you want me to do. Situation rose a couple of years later. In a casual conversation, we said to Marilyn Conrad, the founder of Covenant Keepers, if there's anything else we can do for the ministry, just let us know. She said, I need someone to take over the Southeast United States. After prayer, we said, sure. And a, a regional director for Covenant Keepers just works with the group leaders in multi-state area, helping train and, and work guide those leaders. And we did that for... Um, several years, and in three years ago, the board of directors asked us to come up alongside Marilyn, the founder, and become co-directors with her because uh, she is wanting to, uh, we just term it slow down. I don't think Marilyn will ever retire, but uh, she needed someone that was willing to travel and uh, speak and, and do some things for the ministry, so we after again, after carefully considering it in prayer, we decided to become the co-directors. Uh, <laughs> we said to the to the board, "Yes, we'll do that, but uh, we're not moving back to Tulsa because it was headquartered in Tulsa." And uh, Marilyn said, "Move it to Charlotte," and so we did, and that's where we are today. 
Now, again, it would be easy to say we have hit our spot. This is what we will do. But remember I said we are a work in progress. We personally are a work in progress. The ministry is a work in progress. And as the new co-directors, Carolyn and I are looking for ways to increase the reach of the ministry throughout. It's, it's an international ministry, but we hope to make it more effective. And so that's where we are, still as a work in progress. So what's the lessons in all of our testimony to you? Because I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your marriage looks like. I don't know how you're treating your coworkers at work. I don't know what your finances are. But all of those things were touched in our testimony because they're godly principles. God has a plan and a purpose for you individually. And if you are married, he has a plan and a purpose for your one flesh. Because you are now one. You are not individuals. You are one. And so whatever that plan and purpose is, God is not going to give you, he is not going to give you the blueprint. I, I, that's either good news or bad news. I don't know which, how you're going to take this. It's, he's not going to give you the blueprint because the purpose is not that you get glory, but that he gets glory. And he gets glory and fun out of having you glued right to his side. He wants you more than he wants his plan in your life. And the only way you find out what that plan is is sticking with him. He gives it to you one step at a time. I can tell you in the beginning of our marriage restoration, I wanted God's plan laid out for me. I wanted him to tell me when he was going to come home. I wanted to know what condition it was that he was going to come home in. I wanted to know when I was going to get all the sin out of my life. I had lots of questions, and yet God said, Carolyn, just love me. And in the love for me, the plan will be revealed. And that's what I want to say to you. In your love for Jesus, his plan for your life will be revealed if you will stick close to him. You've got to be flexible, and I understand we all dream these dreams, and we think we know how God's going to do it. I'm telling you, you don't have a clue. Not clue one. Not in a million years was my dream that we would be leading this miracle when he was saying to me, I am out of here. But God's plan was for good and not for evil. For us, for our children, for now our grandchildren and for their children. It was a plan for good. But he gave it to us one step at a time. The one thing I can say is you need to dream big, but you need to make sure that your dream is in line with God's dream. And you will only do that in relationship with him. Family is the basis of our society. So whether you are married 
or whether you are single or whether you are divorced, separated, or don't really know what you are. God will use you to help restore his family on earth. You are part of the solution if you will only obey him. And so our challenge to you today is to get to know him. He, he is the most important key to all of this, is your love for him. And what are you going to do with him and what he is asking of you? So we'd like to pray over you. And we'd like to ask God to truly become the Lord of your life the desire for him being above all other things because he cares for you. Above all else, he cares for you and your family. So may we pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your mighty work in our life. But God, please let these people see you and not us. Jesus, let them see your power because of your love for them. Father, let them not get impatient with your plan when, when it appears that you are delayed. Or it appears, Father, that you are diverted. I just ask that the Holy Spirit be unrelentless in, their, in his pursuit of everyone within the sound of our testimony, Jesus. Father, woo this congregation to you through your power. Make them hunger and thirst after you the creator of the universe. Father, we speak a blessing upon the ministry of this church. We speak a blessing upon the families involved in this church. May you be glorified in this place through your works being done by your children. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Father, if there is anyone in this auditorium who looks good to the public but needs you in their lives, we ask that the Holy Spirit go into that relentless pursuit of that person, that couple, that family, that husband, wife, or that individual to bring that person, family, or individual closer to you closer to your plans for them. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.